Well, hello and grace and peace to you this morning. And uh, uh, I will start a little bit different because of you can hear my Russian accent. We'll pray a little later. Um, there are many languages in this world, and we think in Russia that we're all going to speak Russian in heaven because of it's so hard. You got to spend whole eternity. <laughs> uh, and I, and, uh, oh, sorry for that. Okay. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, David, just a, it's a, he is a genuine friend. <laughs> the genuine friendship demands uh, truth. And he helped me. And time. So it's the reason why I came to develop our deeper friendship. So it's a really strange linguistic occasion that um, you can use uh, English words, but it's going to sound like a Russian phrase. So if, I think it's the most, actual second important phrase after God loves you is I love you. So if you want to say to a Russian person, and you have Marina, actually, by the way, who could understand. If you want to say to a Russian person, I love you, in Russian, by using English words, you got to say three English words. Yellow, blue, colors, yellow, blue, yellow, blue, bus. Yellow, blue, bus. And it sounds, for Russian ears, like I love you. I love you. So next time, if you want to propose a Russian girl or you want to <laughs> express love to Russian people, just say yellow blue bus. <laughs> and it might work really well. And actually, now you are much better prepared for heaven. <laughs> because of when you come there, you could say to all people, yellow blue bus. <laughs> but in order to be truly prepared for heaven, we got to read God's word. And we're going to read this. Unusual passage, I think not uh, often a guest preacher is going to use such a strange passage to preach. But these days, uh, this passage is quite special to our hearts uh, back in Russia, in Ukraine, and here. So, in order to express our uh, deep appreciation to God, let's stand uh, on our knees and read God's word, and we will pray. So Apostle Paul, uh, talking to Corinthian church, and uh, he is saying these words from First uh, Corinthians chapter seven, verse twenty-nine to thirty-five. Twenty-nine to thirty-five. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none, and those who mourn as though they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, and those who buy as though they had no goods, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealing with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. I want to be free. I want you to be free from anxieties. And married man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But a married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife. And his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But a married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. This is God's word. Let's pray. God the Father, we are all grateful to you for your words, the only inspired, truthful, blessed word that we needed to hear. That's only true revelation to us to be saved. And we pray that you will 
talk to every heart in this auditorium and help us to understand and obey completely. And bless everyone. And you know our hearts, you know our life, you know our thoughts. Help us to have undivided devotion to you. In Lord Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please take your seat and um, we'll start our study of this beautiful passage. And this passage actually been part of my family heritage. As you heard me saying, uh, both of my grandfathers were sent in exile to prison camps in Siberia. And uh, in our family, actually, if you're a boy, at age five, you're going to start memorizing scripture from your heart. Usually grandmothers were doing. I remember myself when I was maybe nine, ten years old, I honestly did not like to memorize. <laughs> and I asked my grandma, like, Grandma, why I have to do that? And she said, you know, when you're going to be arrested, the Bible going to be with you. And she not being kind of joking, she really meant what she said. We've been prepared from early age how to survive and to remain faithful. By the way, my grandfather was a pastor of pretty large congregation, hundreds of people. They had only one copy of the Bible. One copy of the Bible. They had a calendar in their church building. They had a calendar, and people uh, put their names, how many days, maximum three, they can hold this Bible. Every Sunday, they were passing this Bible to another home. And my grandmother, she handwritten the whole Bible. And we used actual that Bible for a long time. It's such a treasure that we have so many Bibles now, everywhere, in our smartphones and the hard copies too. And this is a living word. And this passage which we read been one of the most special passage for our family that my grandfathers taught us to understand. So in some ways, I'm going to use what they taught me. When we see the verse 29, especially in the very beginning, I think this is a key phrase for the whole passage to understand, which will really allow us to see how to apply this passage. Time is very short. It's our brother Apostle Paul saying to us. And actually, what he is saying here is saying not just... Um, to everyone, he is saying to brethren, he is saying to true Christian. There are many passages in the Bible that seems to be strange, not really logical, kind of irrational for unregenerated heart. And this is one of them. You've got to be a true, genuine believer to understand, accept, and to apply this passage. Because it seems to be like contradict, contradict what everything what this world really believes and cherish. But this is for authentic, genuine believer. So time is short. When you hear this phrase, time is short or very short, what comes first into your mind? Maybe being late for a football game, tonight game, I guess. Or not enough sleep. Or maybe not enough time for enjoyments. Or what? What else? Some may say, oh, yeah, life, our life is really short. Remember Moses. And Moses, his famous, uh, famous psalm 90, verse 10, he says, the years of our life are 70 or even by reason of strength 80, yet they span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone, and we fly away. Seems to be that Moses used Delta Airline to fly. <laughs> fly away. It's really true. The older you get, the speedier your life. I remember myself when I was a small boy and spending time with my grandparents. It's like the days never been ended. Like in the morning, we had a great breakfast. We play, we talk with my grandpa, grandma. And we play with my younger brother, and our 
uh, grandmother called us to get some lunch. We ate some lunch. We slept. We waked up. The day still been around. We play. We get tired of playing. We had some meal. Later dinner, and the day was still there. And now I have a plan for next three years, and I think where I can find some time. Really, we fly away. Everything's so speedy, especially with internet and modern air. Everything's so speedy. Seems to be like we have much time ahead, but it's not really true. One institution made a research, and they came up with really interesting results. If you leave, 78 years, it's what you spend time on. So 28 years you spend just to sleep. Some probably would, would, have, would love to have a little more. We spend 10 hour, years and a half for work, for our job. Driving to work and home, six years. If you live in Moscow, it's going to be eight for sure. Study, we spend three to five years, at least, especially if you're college kids. Taking meal, four years. And I think if you're living in the U.S. with all your varieties and options and big plates, it's going to be five. <laughs> Childhood, seven years. School, ten years. Shower and restroom. You know, three years plus. Some probably spending more time on that. Not really enough time for your family, for children, ministry. So you may see simple mass show us that we don't have many years left for good, right, needed things. And if I will count how much time or how many years I spent on standing in traffic jams, lines, illness, then I really have very, very, very little time left. The time is very short. In addition, we don't become younger, and none of modern doctor is able to stop our genetics. Our cells can divide 50 plus minus five times, that's it. Yes, they can hide our aging process. They can try to slow it down somehow, but they can't stop it. Our body is dying. They're not designed right now to live forever. It's the reason why we're going to get new bodies. Apostle Paul using here very special Greek word for time, and it's our translation, they use it, they, they, he uses the word kairos, the appointed time. Not just chronos, chronological time, but kairos, strategic moment. It's a short-term opportunity, favorable moment that will be soon lost. It's not going to last forever. The Chinese speaking about the possibility of an often use uh, very describing uh, Beautiful picture. It's talking about rapidly running young man with a large forelock on his head. And you got to catch it. Otherwise, he will run away in a high speed and you will miss your opportunity. Yeah, our opportunities are limited. When I was a youth pastor, like Chris in your church, I've been working with young people in our church. And I grew up in Siberia, as you heard, and Siberia loves three main sports, cross-country ski, hockey, and Greek-Roman wrestling. So in our church, we have a boy from Christian home, his name Alexei, who was a really good wrestler, so, as a youth pastor, I came to him and said, you know, Alexei, you became a champion of our city. Let's develop our youth program. Maybe you will come and teach some young people and you can share your testimony. And he said, you know, I would love to, but, not, but time has not come for me yet because I'm just preparing for national championship. 
So he skipped our youth group meetings, some other Bible studies. He became national champion for the whole country. I was happy for him. I came to him and said, Alexei, what's a perfect time now? What a Kairos moment for you to speak out loud about your faith. And he said, you know, I'm preparing for European championship. He became European champion. I came again. And he said, I'm preparing for world championship. And when he was in Italy doing his practices, preparing for next stage of competition, as a young man, he jumped in a fancy high-speed high car, and he got a car accident. And he was injured badly. He could not walk any longer. Now he is sitting in a wheelchair, sharing his testimony with tears. He can't lose, he can't use his legs anymore. His Kairos moment to use his opportunity been lost. So when Paul's saying, a time is very certain, he really means what he is saying. All our opportunities that God has given to us are not going to last forever. There's not really much time left to do good things and to make right decisions. We may think that, oh, tomorrow I might do, or get next year I would do. No, there is no certainty. Like we had a huge plans ahead in the beginning of this year. We want to plant a church for internationals. But because of current situation in Russia, many internationals were forced to leave. We need to do what we have right now. Second comment is near. But why Paul is saying, why he's saying that there is not really much time left? And he gives at least two reasons why. First reason can be found in the end of verse 29 to 31. In verse 31, he says, For the present form of this world is passing away. This phrase, the present form, is taken from the theatrical lexicon and literally means decoration, shape, outlines. As you know, in theater, for each act, for each action, there are special decoration, special scenery. For each production of their actors and their decoration too. Paul saying the theater scene is changing. In this world, everything will be soon changed. And that we see, and what we see now in this world is so valuable, so important, so needed, will lose its significance in connection with the coming change. Today, some actors are playing leading roles, and tomorrow they will be completely unsuitable for a new stage. Today, something is extremely important and necessary Tomorrow, it will be, made, be completely useless and not necessary. I will illustrate it with a simple Japanese folk tale. It's my, my mother read a lot of Japanese folk tales to me and my brother, so I memorized some of them, remember some of them. There is a story of two people living in the same village. One was very rich, and his goal was to fill up his chest with golden coins. So one day, he got a final coin and put in his chest and felt that he really accomplished his mission. He is very successful, chest full of golden coins. Another man was very poor, living nearby, and he thought how to live. Next day, nothing been around, but he had some, some pancakes. He prepared and he said to him, I will eat them and I will die because of nothing in my hands, nothing in my house. And it's normal for Japanese folk tale, something radical happened. The local river was out of its banks and the flood filled their village. So both of them 
grab the most valuable things in, in their hands, golden, golden coins, chess, and pancakes, and climb up the tree, and started to wait when water will disappear. They've been waiting for hour, two, three hours, both got hungry, a poor man ate his pancakes. And a rich man could not eat his golden coins. So he looked at this poor man and said, could you please sell me some pancakes? He sold him some. And the story goes on. They've been there up for a long time that the all golden chest or a chest of golden coins been transferred to this poor man and pancakes been transferred to this rich man. And a warder disappeared. The one, a poor became rich, and the rich became poor. It's really simple to understand the morality of this story. You need to have not what is important today, but what you will need to have tomorrow. What you will need to have tomorrow. So our time has its own special scenery. And Apostle Paul is giving us this scenery in these three verses, 29 to 31. Look, actually, by the way, this, this verb, passing away, it's a present continuous tense, if I'm correctly remember English grammar. It means that these changes taking place already now. It's not a matter of distant future. We used to think that Lord going to come someday and everything going to be changed someday, and we're thinking about really distant future. But what is Bible passage saying to us? That Lord Himself, it's a passive, it's a passive tense. It's a present continuous tense, but it's passing away. Lord Himself is just changing this stage of this world, preparing for next stage. Right now, the Lord is actively involved in this world, preparing everything for the next century. Next century, He using everything for His glory, preparing next stage. God Himself preparing the planet for a new time, new sin of His divine purpose. He is doing that. That's the reason why Paul is saying that we need be careful not to treat the values system of this world as a system that's going to last forever. It's transitory. It is temporary. So what are the scenery of life we have in right now? Paul gave us five elements in this passage. Five elements. Look, he speaks about family. Having wives as though they don't have. So basically, he's talking about our motivation. For many people, family is the highest motivation. People are ready to do everything for their family. He's talking about our sorrows. It's our hopes. We feel we really feel pain because of our hopes not being fulfilled or being destroyed. He's talking about joy and success. Basically, he's talking about our goals, purpose of life. It's a third element, fourth element. It's our possessions, our wealth. And the fifth element is our enjoyment. It's what we love to do. It brings us pleasure. It's maybe our hobbies, our pleasures. So all these things... All these things are useful to us and truly quite legitimate. But Paul, Apostle Paul adds that the image of this world with its value system is passing away. These things are not sinful. They're not really sinful, but they're temporal. So if they become our goals, our main motivations, our guidelines lines for our life, they will lead us to a wrong direction and truly to sins. Because the sin of this world will soon change and we need to prepare themselves.
for that. It's very important to understand that. Not to be chained or enslaved by this passing system. Now, let me explain a little more. Family. I love my wife. We've been married like this beautiful pastor family, the same amount of years. We have the same number of children too. But she is not here. I feel incomplete. Even more, if you be honest enough, you would admit that nobody offended you so painfully as your spouse because your spouse knows where to hit and what to say. At the same time, probably you're not going to be loved so much as by your spouse. But still, there are so many imperfections, so many limitations. So family, then we're not going to have earthly families in heaven. We're going to have much more intimate and close relationship than here. Because they're not going to be seen. There are going to be limitations. There are going to be our imperfect bodies too. So family is a great thing to have, but it's not the ultimate thing to have on this planet. By the way, some of us are going to become one day widows. We're going to lose our spouse. But a church family is going to last forever. Some of us having a hard family life. And I will tell you, the best family, you're going to have amazing celebration with Christ. So you're not really lost anything. But earthly family, it's a temporal thing. Even it's a good thing. By the way, I'm married. Look at my right hand. In Russia, if you're having a wedding ring here, it means that I'm divorced and open for a new relationship. <laughs> when I first time came to U.S., I was surprised how many divorced pastors you have. <laughs> and uh, it's been really, really strange. <laughs> um, yes, there are some cultural differences. Maybe one other day I will share with you. Sorrows, our sorrows. The Lord will wipe away every tear from our eyes. Remember, Revelation chapter 7, verse 17. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. Joy, <laughs> there was not and will not be greater joy than to come to the presence of the Lord forever. Everything what, what this world can give to us, it's nice. But it's not given more that our soul really hunger for. Only in the presence of the Lord we feel true joy, satisfaction, and peace. Even when your best team, sport team, wins, it's good. But is joy going to disappear the next game? <laughs> it's not forever. But God is eternal. And his joy is really unique. Possessions. You know, we're gonna, we actually inhabitants of New Jerusalem. And some of us struggle with having a place to live. Even people who have their own place, it's still there's something need to be remodeled, something need to be fixed. But we have New Jerusalem. An architecture and builder of the city, the Lord himself. It's a perfect. And you don't need to pay any bills for that. And it's going to last forever. You know, there is a really funny anecdote, but, uh, the funny uh, joke about one Russian businessman. It's a very Russian Orthodox joke. About Russian businessman who paid much money to Russian Orthodox Church and he kind of earned his way to get some favor from the Lord. So one day, an angel was sent to him. An angel said to him, you've been such a good person, and God given you a special blessing. You can take one thing with you to heaven. When you die, you can take one thing. 
So this Russian businessman, he sold everything. He sold everything and purchased a big piece of gold. And you know, even American dollar is no so stable, but gold kind of much more stable. So he bought this huge piece of gold, put in his suitcase, and prepared to die. So when he got to heaven, Angel asked him, what did you bring? With pride, he opened his suitcase and showed this huge piece of gold. And the angel said to him, man, you're such a stupid person. Why did you bring pavement to us? <laughs> because if we're going to walk on the golden streets. People dying for this gold these days. But it's going to be a pavement of New Jerusalem. Look, we are so rich compared to what this world can give to us. And enjoyments, the final thing, enjoyments, what a pleasure to enjoy new earth, a new heaven, in new bodies forever to praise our God. And if you not travel so much, you will travel everywhere. <laughs> and you will need to fly for hours <laughs> in a plane. You're going to have a perfect body like Jesus got when he raised up from death. We're not really missing anything. But we need to prepare ourselves using our temporal system for new next stage. For next stage. That's why Apostle Paul is saying to us that we not to be perceived by not to be kind of enslaved or chained by things. things. He just want to prepare for next things. He instructs us that when we engage on our earthly system, we need to look at everything through the prince of eternity. The vector of our life should be kingdom of God. Common kingdom, not just earthly kingdom. Otherwise, we're going to see the Lord with empty hands. And actually, I would say even more. People who are not really looking for the Lord to come back, they really don't want Him to come back. Because they're captured by these earthly things. They think it's much more important to them than His kingdom. Therefore, the life of a real Christian will revolve around God, His church, His kingdom. And you know, everything's going to be perfect in heaven. Everything. So the second reason, what Apostle Paul given us in this passage, can be found in verse 32. So he already gave for us that the time is shortened. Why? Because of God preparing a new stage, new scenery for this world. And the second reason why, in the verse 32, why we should live differently. If we would not live like what he's saying to us, we will be captured, seized by these things, and we will become the most anxious people on this planet. He's saying, so we'll be too anxious in, in our lives. It's so natural to be captured by all these earthly things because of the fall, because of our life, because of our sinful nature. And we can forget about our, our heaven calls and God's given purpose for our life. We all remember what Jesus said on his famous Sermon on the Mount from the book of Matthew Chapter 6, verse 31, he says, Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all, but seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall, will be added to you. Yeah, there are some responsibility on this earth which we have to to do and it's fine but we can do them for the glory of God not for this temporal system only if we will live for all these things only this is the way to distress to anxiety to sin lack of joy nobody in this world who just living for these things truly happy, truly feel satisfaction. Because of this world, no matter what this world can give to us, it's not going to satisfy 
our eternal soul. We want to have something eternal. It's the reason why God himself given to us himself. It's what our soul needs the most. It's what all of us need the most. So the main question is, what are my values? Because they define my priorities. They develop my character, shape my character. And actually the way of, of life or a, a way of death, if I'm living for God, it's a way of true joy, or it's a, if I'm not really living for His kingdom, uh, yeah, He could be like addition to my life, but it's going to be the way of the distress and anxiety. I, I look at my grandparents and my parents. They've all been heavily persecuted. Heavily persecuted. For instance, one of my grandfather, one day, a local authorities came to him and they took exactly half of his land with all his property. Just everything. And the, the worst part left for him. But I never seen him unhappy. For me, it was a surprise. One of my grandfather was taken to be killed six times. He'd been in prison seven times. Seven times. And I'm thinking, because if I'm just close age when he was that time, I think how he could survive, why he was so happy. And you know, he was praying for the government to repent. He was praying for people, and he was loving. Both of them were really loving people in spite of all these difficulties. Why? The only answer, because they lived not for this temporal kingdom. Their hearts were captured by the Lord Jesus himself and his vision. That's a way how you can love your enemy, even enemy. So the program of deliverance, because of some of, of us might be already enslaved by these temporal things. Some of us may be already very anxious. How we can experience fullness and true freedom? How we can avoid to be enslaved and captured and chained by these things? How we can run away from a lot of cares and unneeded troubles? Paul gave us here a program of deliverance. And at the end of verse 32 to 34, there are at least two things I would love to mention. In the verse 32, he says, he gives us the right motivation of life. The right motivation of life. He's saying, then married cares for the Lord how to please the Lord. So the right motivation for us, pleasing the Lord. This is a plan of the day. And this is a way how we need to evaluate our day. How I do please him, not myself. Not others, but him. Because when I please him, I'm going to be a great husband and great wife, good son and daughter, good law-abiding citizen. When I start from God, I'm going to be great for my neighbors. But I need to start to please him, not myself. The longer I please myself, the less satisfied I'm going to be. The more I live for myself, the more unhappy I'm going to become. It's impossible to please our soul without God. But when we please Him, everything is going to become in order. So it's the first thing, right motivation of life, pleasing the Lord. Second, the program of life, ministry for the Lord. Look at the verse 33, 34. He's saying, but the married man is anxious about worldly things. How to please his wife and his interests are divided. So God, God give you time not just to live for yourself, not just to meet your needs and desires, not to entertain yourself, especially if you're a young person. You have extra time, not just to be bored and just to fight this boredom. You're going to have true joy, happy excitement when you minister to the Lord. I don't know anyone who was ministering for the Lord and he would say, what a vain 
what a way and stupid things I did. But I know many people who regret that they did, they did not use their time to minister for the Lord. There are many, many people who regret him. But when you minister for him, it's something miracle, marvelous happening. God gives you grace to use your time. I remember I was a student in college, and it's really interesting. The more we minister for the Lord, the more he bless our time of study. Really strange, because you're thinking, I need to spend more time on study, not kind of in abundant ministry. But you, you're supposed to do both. And when you really minister to the Lord, He blesses even your time. Actually, He usually cut off you, you from YouTube and Facebook and other unneeded things. And you will have much more time to read the Bible, pray, and help your neighbors. But basically, Paul's saying, use your time to minister to the Lord. It's like he's saying the same in the apostle in his epistle to Colossians, his beautiful words, chapter 3, verse 17, whatever you do in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, thanks to him through God and the Father. This is our motivation, this is our plan, the program of life. And finally, in the verse 35, apostle Paul given us the right response, correct response to this passing form, present passing form reality. He says that the only right response which is going to give us joy, blessing, and happiness is commitment to Christ. And in verse 35, he says, I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. So this passing world system is trying to catch us. But we need to be caught by the gospel and God's vision for our city, for this world. This is the way of life. Paul says that he doesn't want to put some burden or yoke on us, but to help us to live truly free, freedom, blessed appropriate life because of Jesus did it for us he rescued us out of our sin he rescued us from a God's judgment not just for us to be lost and knowing what we suppose not knowing what we're supposed to do but because of he called us to live for his kingdom as free citizens not as slaves and Paul see, says that the blessed life, true blessed life, has two main characteristics. First, constant faithful service or ministry to God. And secondly, without internal conflict. Internal conflict. He calls his readers to live life that honors the Lord. Life that's spent not in vain. Life that's worthy to live. A life that's great to share with your children, your grandchildren. Life, life that's worthy to tell and share with the next generation. Because of my life truly preaches what is important to me. The way how I spend my time, money, energy, it says a lot about my values, about my priorities, about my vision of life, about where I'm going to. It's so blessed to preach Christ and to show that He is my treasure, my love, my goal, my motivation. And why are we still on this planet? One of the biggest reasons, my brothers and sisters, we're still on the planet, because of God wants to save someone through your ministry. God wants to help someone through your ministry. This is the biggest reason why you're still on this planet. So our first prayer in the morning, God, not bless my plans, but God, use me for your glory. Please bring people my path or put me to cross their path that they would share his love and grace and salvation. That's my prayer, my daily prayer every morning. 
The other day, I was visiting one church, actually the church where I was a pastor in Siberia. And we spent the whole day with our elders. And you know, there's a strange things happening with all married men. Maybe in America it's different, but it's true for Russian people. When I was single, I knew how to cook, how to wash my clothes well. I, I knew many things. When I married, step by step, I forget some. So when, I, when we all elders get together, we had a lot of tea. Uh, Siberia tea is kind of a big thing, but not really much food. And uh, I want to go to other city in the, in, the, in the end of the day, and I want to catch up the last bus. And I was very hungry because of we didn't feed each other. Only men were meeting for hours. And we didn't have a Red Rocks restaurant in our area. <laughs> so we, uh, actually, my brothers brought me to the bus station, and uh, I was very, very hungry. And I saw that they were selling hot dogs. I took two hot dogs, and I remember the lady asked me, like, do you want mayonnaise or ketchup? I said, put everything, because <laughs> I was very hungry. <laughs> Uh, it was 7.15 p.m. bus, uh, five hours to another city, like I uh, supposed to be there at uh, midnight. And uh, so I ate these uh, hot dogs, and after 10 minutes when the bus left, the real civil war broke through my stomach. It was just, I never had such a terrible uh, pain in my stomach before. So I thought, it's going to be a stop after a couple hours. Um, I hope it's going to be fine. But after 50 minutes, it got even worse. Very, very bad. I went to a driver said, you know, man, it's so bad with my stomach. Maybe have some medicine. He found some medicine. He gave it to me. I took this medicine. Zero result. So after 40 minutes, maybe kind of 40, 45 minutes of our journey, I went to him and said, you know, I feel so bad. I can't sustain a bus anymore. And he said, you know, I'm at the last bus. I can't uh, kind of uh, miss my turn. So I will uh, drive you on the road to a medical center, and I will drop you there. I will wait for you because I got to go. I, I was happy with that. So he brought me to that place and uh, let me out. Uh, I went to this medical. They gave me a bottle of water, gave me some medicine, asked me to wait for a doctor. And, and I'm a Baptist. I'm a Baptist all my life. Uh, and, but it's really a mystical thing happened to me. I even did not take any medicine, but my stomach stopped hurt. I mean, just stop. I purchased this expensive medicine, <laughs> and I came out of this uh, medical center and looked at the horizon line, and I saw bus leaving, and, I, and it was a place where there's no cars, uh, no buses, only kind of high-speedy part of the highway, and the rain starts, and I ask, Lord, what I've done? <laughs> Why you pull me away from this bus on this road of middle of nowhere in Siberia? So I tried to stop any car in the road. Nobody wanted to start, stop because if I was wet, it was raining, it was almost 8 p.m., and a strange man trying to stop cars. I've been trying to stop any car for 35 minutes, literally 35 minutes. Suddenly, unexpectedly, one really fancy car stopped, and a man from Caucasus area, he said, just jump in. And I sat on his leather <laughs> chair, really wet, and he asked me, like, what are you doing here? And I said, I'm a pastor going to see another church. And he was happy to hear that. He was happy to hear that. He asked me several questions about life and Christian faith. And finally, he said to me, can you pray for my friend Mahmoud? Mahmoud is name. And I said, what about to pray for him? And he said, you know, he's a businessman. Everything falling apart in his life. Terrible relationship with his children. Terrible 
with his wife and his business just almost destroyed. And can you pray for him? I said, yeah, sure. He stopped his car. I pray for his friend Mahmoud. And we continued our journey. After a couple hours, we got to a point, a crossroads. I need to go one way. He need to go another way. It was 11 p.m., very dark. And uh, we stopped in a gas station where I could catch up with other, other car, hopefully. And, uh, and I said, thanks a million for giving me a ride. And we really had a great conversation about faith, forgiveness, death on the cross. And he turned to me and he said, do you know what you've done to me? And uh, honestly, my beloved brothers and sisters, I got a little scared because it was the middle of the night. I didn't know this man. And he was from Kakas area, uh, kind of dangerous person. And I said, you know, if I've kind of offended you, I really didn't mean to. But he said, no, no, no. And, uh, and his eyes just filled with tears. Just, and he said, I am Mahmoud for whom you prayed. I am Mahmoud. And, his, and he said, actually, I was going to the forest to hand myself up. There is, a, there is a rope in my tongue. And I saw you, and as I wrote, and I thought in myself, why not to talk with the last person in my life? And now, I don't know what to do. Because of what you share with me, what you've been telling me about God and forgiveness, is it possible to be forgiven? I said, sure, sure, Mahmoud, Jesus died for you too. He said, no, I'm such a terrible sinner. And he started to pour his heart more and more. I've been listening to him for an hour. And then finally, we both prayed. And he drove me to his home, to his family. It was a day of redemption. He asked forgiveness, his children, his wife. I stayed there for the whole night talking with his family. I got home just really, really late morning next day. And I realized when I got home that there wasn't any Christian in the area. God just pulled me away from this bus to save this soul. And I do think that there are many Mahmouds in this city. Maybe your neighbors, maybe your classmates. You don't know them so well, but maybe they really losing their heart, about to make terrible decisions. They need you. Because of time is very short, very short. Everything might change in our life, in our country, in our city. We just need to maximize our time to use it for his kingdom and his glory for the sake of salvation of many. Because Christ died on the cross to save the least, the last sinner, to save you and me in order for us to be rescuer. We're all on a rescuer mission these days. That's my prayer. Pray for us, especially in Russia, because of we are there to bring gospel of hope to people, message of joy and life and true happiness. Let's pray.